0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday, with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is the October 18th, 2022 podcast. This year marks 10 years since the launch of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Rental Assistance Demonstration Program, or commonly called RAD. Over the past decade, public housing authorities have converted 1,558 projects, converting 206,181 housing units under the RAD program, representing more than $14.9 billion of investment in affordable rental housing. The RAD program is a tool that's used by public housing authorities to raise capital to help renovate aging public housing stock. If you work at a public housing authority, there's a chance that your agency has already converted some of its public housing units through RAD. Now, whether or not whether you've recently closed a RAD transaction, you're in the middle of a RAD closing, or you're still considering whether or not to apply to participate in the RAD program, or perhaps you're even wondering what RAD is, today's podcast will help you make some informed decisions and help you avoid some potentially costly oversights. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss RAD post-closing requirements and various hot button issues that every PHA and RAD consultant should be aware of. Joining me for today's discussion is my partner and fellow CPA, Rich Larson from Novogradic's Toms River, New Jersey office. Rich is one of the country's leading public housing authority auditors and advisors. And he's an expert on the RAD program. Rich is a lead author of the Novogradic RAD handbook. And chair of Novograd's annual RAD public housing conference. I'm looking forward to having him share his insights with us on Tashret Tuesday today. As I say each week, if you're ready, let's get started. Rich, welcome back to Tashret Tuesday. Thanks, Mike. It is it's great to be back. So before we dive into RAD issues, as I noted in my intro there may be some listeners that are wondering what RAD is. So it might be helpful right. if you give a brief overview of what the RAD program is. Now, we don't need to go into too much detail here because we want to right. focus on post-closing issues. But as a level set for our audience, please explain what
1: the RAD program is and why it matters. Sure, Mike. So the RAD program was created really to preserve public housing by providing PHAs access to more stable funding. You know, Currently, there's a minimum of a $40 billion capital need just to bring public housing units up to standard. So specifically, the RAD program provides for a more stable Section 8 rent subsidy and access to private capital. When I talk about private capital, we're talking about tax credit equity and conventional debt. And the biggest thing about this program is that it's budget neutral for the federal government. Does not cost them any more money. So thanks, Rich, that's a great overview. For any of our
0: listeners who wanna learn more about RAD, I encourage you to order the Novigradic RAD handbook from our website. It's available in print and in digital form. Now, Rich, for context, please share with our listeners the role or roles you typically
1: play in a RAD transaction. So RAD is a public housing authority program. So as a PHA accountant and auditor, quite often we're called on as a trusted advisor to consult with PHAs on their best options as to which type of RAD conversion to pursue. We, is, we assist in recording those RAD transactions. We set up and structure the ownership of affiliate entities. And as well as our bread and butter is we perform audits and prepare tax returns for the RAD entities. More importantly, I think as a Novogratic partner, I'm able to bring in my partners who are experts in the low-income housing tax credit, in the historical tax credit, and in property valuation so that we can make sure that our PHA clients utilize every available resource to maximize financial benefits from a RAD transaction. Thank you for that, Rich. So because of your expertise and your
0: experience, I know that you're very much in demand on the conference circuit, and you get invited to speak about RAD at lots and lots of industry events. What are some of the broad categories of issues that you're seeing and discussing?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, Mike. We're seeing a variety of post-RAD issues. Accounting issues is a big issue. Recording that initial RAD closing transaction, that could be very complicated, causing some issues. Post-RAD compliance, we've seen a lot of HUD audits on RAD transactions and a lot of non-compliance. Housing authorities not following through with their RAD conversion commitment. Financial reporting causes a lot of confusion. Who gets this financial report of the new RAD entity? Where does it go? Does it go to HUD? Does it go to investor? A combination of both. And also, it, when I speak at conferences, we get a lot of questions on just the latest notices coming out of HUD or new accounting pronouncements. And of course, everybody likes to talk about recent HUD IG audits. What is the inspector general doing these days? So, so that's where we're at mostly. So that sounds like if I am counting correctly, maybe four categories
0: of issues. One being accounting, one being compliance, one being financial reporting. And a fourth one, which is really two, is very hot topics, if you will. So let's march through each of those sort of four categories. So starting with accounting, PHAs that have completed a RAD transaction, as I understand it, can be separated into two categories. One is a public housing authority that continues to own underlying property that's going through renovation. And the other, it's a public housing authority that has sold the property to a newly formed entity a limited liability company or a limited partnership that is most likely financing that acquisition and renovation of the property using local housing tax credits. Now, both scenarios, both the continue to own the property scenario and the sell the property scenario have distinct accounting requirements. If you could share for our listeners, what
1: a PHA should know about the differences in those two accounting requirements. Sure. Mike, so when a a PHA retains ownership. Um, the good news is here, there is no sale of the property. So it's just an internal bookkeeping transaction. But the most important thing is you want to make sure that you transfer all the assets and liabilities from your public housing program to a non-federal program, a business activities fund. Um, And more importantly, you're closing out that public housing program because by doing that, you're essentially saying we're not receiving any more financial or federal money. And going forward, the funds that you're going to receive on this new RAD property are going to be non-federal funds. And that gives you a lot more flexibility to utilize those funds. So there's no gain or loss reported on that transaction. You're just recording the assets and liabilities at book value, and you're bringing them over to a non-federal fund. The more complicated transaction, though, is really when tax credits are involved. Because when tax credits are involved, it can get very complicated because the housing authority is, in essence, selling the building and the improvements to a separate entity. And uh, that requires the public housing authority to address some very technical issues, gain Gain or loss on the sale of the assets, recording a land lease. There's a seller take back mortgage and so forth. And the big issue there, you know, this, Mike, you can have a public housing property that's worth millions of dollars, but its book value is zero. So a housing authority theoretically can sell this property for $25 million, have a book value of something very small, but, you know, a couple thousand dollars have this $25 million gain. Well, generally accepted accounting principle says, well, you can't just recognize that gain unless you can be reasonably assured you're going to collect that that $25 million. And with seller take back financing, it gets very complicated. You may not. And so that's where we see a lot of journal entries, a, a lot of material mistakes on financial statements that PHAs are making. And, and we've been helping them with that over the last several months. Great, thank you for that. Now
0: let's move into compliance issues. Second of my four <laughs> categories that I've kind of created here. What are the
1: some of the most commonly overlooked compliance issues, Right. <laughs> so down. so great question again. Now, although I said it was very easy to for the on the accounting side when a PHA maintains ownership, the problem is the compliance issues there are very significant. So when a PHA converts its public housing units and maintains ownership, um, they now are the owner of the property, and they are also administering the housing assistance payments to that property. So there's an inherent conflict of interest there. And HUD says, okay, well that's okay, but you need to do a few things to make sure we we remedy that conflict of interest or or mitigate that risk. And the big issue is HUD says you need to hire an independent entity that they approve of to perform certain tasks, the rent reasonableness, HQS inspections, and calculating OCAF adjustments. And when I say OCAF, I mean the operating cost adjustment factor, the inflation adjustment to the rent. And so those are the biggest things. And we see a lot of housing authorities, although they may say, hey, we have an independent entity doing this. The reality is, number one, that independent entity didn't get approved by HUD, or technically, they're not really independent. Um, You can't just have an affiliate entity do it if you control that entity. So we're seeing those issues there, uh, very significant when a housing authority owns that property, they do need to maintain those separations. A Couple other issues that we see with compliance, housing authorities need to really close out their capital fund program. And that's done by the auditor putting a certification in the public housing authority audit that it's properly closed out. And the problem is the housing authority may forget to tell the auditor or the auditor may miss something to that effect. And three years down the line, HUD's going to send you a letter saying, hey, you never closed out the 2018 capital fund grant, the 2019 capital fund grant, and it may cost you additional funds to go back and do that certification, go back to those records and make sure everything was closed out properly. Your public housing program also needs to be closed out properly. HUD has put out a whole PIH notice on the proper procedures of doing that. When you convert to RAD and you have no no more public housing units, you need to convert out you need to close out that public housing program in accordance with the, the PIH notice 2019-3. So those are the major compliance issues, Mike, that we're seeing. We try to, when we come in and do audits, we try to address all those issues with our clients to make sure going forward, they're in good shape with their RAD property. And the issues that you discussed there, those all
0: relate to where that PHA continues to own the property. Is that correct?
1: Well, the, the last two, closing out the capital fund program and closing out the public housing program, that applies to really all okay. entities. When the PHA owns the program and then also when the tax credit entity does, because if the PHA is out of public housing right. and out of the capital fund program, they need to properly close it out. And are there
0: any compliance issues that are specific to tax credit? so
1: so specific to tax credit cost allocation proper cost allocation is a huge hot button issue with hud's office of inspector general because what happens is um, housing authorities have created a lot of non-federal entities and they also operate a lot of federal programs and so hud's view is if The IG's view and HUD is if you're not properly allocating costs in a systematic, rational and allocable method, you could be overcharging a federal program. And, uh, so, so that is one compliance area for the tax credit property that we've seen a lot of audits with, and then they've resulted in, in significant penalties. You can't just charge a salary. There has to be a basis for charging a cost to a federal program or to a non-federal program. Got it. Thank you for that.
0: And now let's turn to our third category, financial reporting. What particular nuances are there to a RAD transaction when you're reporting on your financial statements, the given transaction, as well as the ongoing operations of the property and your involvement with the property?
1: Sure, Mike. So so quite often the confusion about financial reporting comes when I see a housing authority utilizes maybe their own internal development team, or they hire a development consultant, and they kind of keep the finance department is out of the loop. Not that they're keeping them out of the loop, but the finance department could be busy doing other things. So the development department will put together this RAD package. They will give us financing. They'll put together the rental assistance and really not fill the finance department on. And all those things, the type of rental assistance that a RAD property gets, whether it's project-based rental assistance or project-based vouchers, has financial reporting requirements. Project-based rental assistance, you have to do a separate electronic submission to HUD. And if it's over $500,000, you need a separate project audit. So if you don't tell, inform the finance department or the finance department doesn't get the RAD binder, they're going to miss that compliance deadline. The type of permanent financing that a RAD property gets could cause a specific financial reporting requirement. If you have a HUD guaranteed loan, once again, you may have to do a separate audit, project audit to HUD. A lot of state housing finance agencies provide permanent funding and they require their own special financial reporting. For instance, New Jersey has their own basis of accounting. If you get balanced housing funds in the state of New Jersey, they're going to require you to submit a financial statement on their basis of accounting. Also, entity structure has an impact on your financial reporting. A tax credit property, at a minimum, is going to have reporting to an investor. You know, is going to have, could have reporting to to HUD, could have uh, Financial reporting responsibility to the PHA as well. And so there's a scenario with a lot of PHAs, a lot of RAD properties, where that RAD property is considered a component unit of the PHA and so has to report its financial results to the housing authority. It'll have investor reporting requirements, state HMFA reporting requirements, and they also may have to do a project audit to HUD. So the important thing is to really understand your reporting requirements and you may want to understand you, you really want to understand them before you do the rad deal because it may change the components of your financing package you may not want that hundred thousand dollars from the state hmfa it's if it's going to require you to have separate financial reporting or a separate auditors or so forth but the important thing is also hey you, you really need to maintain compliance and after your first year after your conversion. You don't want to get that letter from HUD that says, "Hey, you didn't, you didn't uh, file that audit electronically, and you're now non-compliant, and now you have to tell your tax credit investor you're non-compliant. Your state HMFA is going to find out you're non-compliant." So it is just so important to maintain that that compliance.
0: I mean, it sounds like for these first three, they all are very much interrelated to the importance of ensuring that. There's a broad swath of knowledge across the public housing authority about what's happening so that right. the one particular area isn't caught off guard as to what is occurring in another area. And if they are caught off guard, there could be penalties and other issues getting back That's right. compliance.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And it really is a lot of it's communication, it's having the the development team and the finance department collaborate. And if, if there's confusion, just call your auditor. That's what we do. And we know exactly who you're going to have to report to.
0: That's great. So right fourth in a uh, final category was right. labeled the general hot topics earlier, but I guess I For Jeopardy fans, it would be the potpourri category. (laughs) Right. They didn't really fit into the other three categories, so I just tossed it into this catch-all category. But what are a couple of the other industry
1: hot topics? So what we're seeing with public housing authorities right now, so this is getting a little bit off the rad topic, but public housing authorities that now have June 30th year-end, starting with year-ends June 30th, 2022, have to comply with GASB 87, which is an accounting pronouncement which requires them to put all their leases on their financial statements, to capitalize their leases. And in years past, they have not had to do that. So we're working with a lot of our clients. We're giving them a methodology to do that because the reality is, even though the requirement is all leases, you don't have to put the ones on that are immaterial to the financial statements. So what we're trying to do is make the process a little easier, less cumbersome for our clients and say, hey, give us an inventory of your leases and we'll help you calculate a materiality level where you can only put the ones that are material on the books and go through that conversion process. And of course, we're helping them calculate that, that GASB 87 commitment, lease commitment so so that's one big that that's requiring a, a lot of time for housing authorities a big commitment on their part and then also we've been getting a lot of questions the hud's office of inspector general recently put out an an audit report in in late august of this year a couple months ago where they said a management agreement between housing authorities now i don't I'm getting a little bit into the minutia but a lot of larger housing authorities Manage smaller housing authorities because those smaller housing authorities many times cannot afford a full-time director of finance, a full-time procurement officer, a full-time Section 8 coordinator. So, um, you know, so these larger housing authorities would take on these roles and charge a management fee. Well, the HUD's Office of Inspector General said, well, wait a second, there are certain criteria you need to maintain in order for this to be a management agreement. And in this one particular audit report, they disallowed the management agreement and said the actual housing authority was a uh, pass-through subrecipient of federal money. So the management fees that it received were not considered management fees in non-federal money it was considered federal money, and they were considered a grant subrecipient. So as a subrecipient, you're not permitted to make a profit. And so they owed a lot of these funds back to the housing authorities, the smaller housing authority, and they also owed back a lot of money to HUD. And uh, they're currently fighting that. I think we're probably going to assist in that defense. But right now, That is a huge part of of revenues that housing authorities are earning, performing management services for other housing authorities. So right now we're putting together a plan on how to avoid being considered a federal subrecipient, grant subrecipient, and to keep those fees, management, considered management fees, non-federal and being able to earn a profit. Great. Thank you for that. I
0: did want to also ask you one other question, which is a a bit off topic, but- yeah, you know, this is about RAD. is more most more focused on post-closing issues. But we did get the average income regulations from for locally tax credits out recently. And lots of folks are looking at these average income regulations and trying to identify how they'll be used in the broader locally tax credit community. We recorded a podcast episode on the topic. So anyone who's listening was not that familiar with the concept of average income and the law of the tax credits, please go back and listen to that podcast episode. My question for you is when you think about RAD conversions that are using loan closing tax credits, to what extent do you think these properties may end up adopting the average income set aside?
1: So that is a great question, Mike, a very current and applicable question. And as you mentioned, those reg- those regulations are relatively new. But what I can say is public housing residents only need to meet the income criteria upon their admission to the program. So if someone was admitted to the program in 1976 or 1996 or 2006, their income could grow substantially and be well over any limit. Now, obviously they wouldn't get any subsidy for those units, but you know, those participants, those public housing residents could be well over income. And so then when those units convert to RAD, the income averaging would help those tenants qualify uh, for the new project. And so I I don't know if that's a short answer or a long answer. It is a relatively new, the regulations are relatively new. It's a new process. But my gut is, I think it will help.
0: I mean, that's a good point because the average income... Regulations could allow some of those over income tenants from 60 to 80% be eligible such that they'd be tax credit eligible tenants. Obviously it wouldn't go if they were above 80%. And I'm not sure how often you would see someone in that band, but it's probably additive and probably not harmful. The regulations themselves, we need to read more and think through a variety of compliance issues and the rest to decide on balance. Does it make sense to adopt the average income set aside? It's quite likely that the average income set aside will become the new normal, whereas right now that 40 right. income set aside is. But I would say for our listeners, do go back and listen to the podcast on the average income regulations for more insights here. So uh, thank you,
1: Reg. Is there anything else you wanted to add before I move on? No, Mike, I think you hit it pretty good. I would encourage my clients to go back and listen to that average income podcast as well. So, Rich, please stick around for our op-mic
0: section at the end of the podcast, where I'll ask you some fun op-topic questions to get some tips and words of wisdom from you. That's always great. I love giving words of wisdom. To our listeners, be sure to tune into next week's podcast. If the City of I-Fund announces the New Market Central Allocation Awards this week. Then my partners, Brad Elfleck and Rebecca Darling, will be on the podcast to discuss the announcement and next steps for awardees. Now, in the event that the Allocation Awards are not released this week, then my guest next week will be my partner, Tony Grappone. We'll discuss some very interesting updates from the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Working Group, including the group's planned comments to the IRS on the Inflation Reduction Act's Clean Energy Tax Incentives. You can be sure you're notified of that episode and each week's episode by following or subscribing to the Task Force Tuesday podcast go to www.nifico.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to and stream the show from our website. You can also follow or subscribe to Taskbar Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Now, I'm pleased to reach our off mic section where listeners can get some off-topic advice and words of wisdom from our podcast guests. So Rich, let me start with a question that I really enjoy asking guests on the podcast and that's what part of your daily routine do you most look forward to and more importantly, why?
1: Well, the good thing is my college-age kids are all back to school. So now it's, I like to get in the office nice and early, 7 a.m. Uh, And I like to, to, to try to sneak out around lunchtime and just get back to going to the gym. And uh, I I just been feeling a lot better doing that. It's kind of, that was my pre COVID routine, but obviously with COVID, you kind of get away from it. The the gyms were closed, the kids were home. And so it's, I feel good getting back to that because I'm a morning person. So getting in at about 7. AM is normal for me. It's not a hard thing to do. Great.
0: It's uh, good to hear. I actually was during COVID, I found myself exercising a little bit more because I was home (laughs) (laughs) and I'm the opposite. I'm like, I have to get back to my COVID period. (laughs) So my second question, and I'll just be to this week, what makes you feel inspired
1: or like your best self? That's a great question. Again, Mike, I have some great clients and they really do some great things for their community. And I I really feel good when I can help them achieve their goals, whether it be just contributing my time, whether it just be the consulting that I do with the entities or playing in a golf outing and helping them raise some funds. When you can participate, when you like what you're doing and you believe in the cause, the affordable housing cause, you kind of, you feel good about yourself and you feel good about the work you're doing and coming to work doesn't really feel like work.
0: (laughs) That's very well said. I similarly feel inspired by the work that our clients do and being able to help them do the work that they do provides lots of inspiration for me as well. Thank you again, Rich. And to our listeners, I'm Mike Novogratik, thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company LLP. Archive podcasts are available online at ww.novico.com forward slash podcast, or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at ww.novico.com forward slash podcast. Novogradic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.